Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. The particular passage that we're taking a look at here today is Tzav, so that's a, the Torah reading that we're looking at, Tzav, which covers Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8, and goes through the end of chapter 8, and we picked up the corresponding passages from the prophets there in Jeremiah seven twenty-one through 8, 3, and also a little brief snippet of chapter 9, and we also picked up Hebrews chapter 9. Now, we had last Shabbat, when we were going through the first passage of Vayikra or Leviticus, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. So we're kind of looking back a little bit. The tabernacle is a parable of the teachings of what is going on with the offerings. The offerings being a way that the person approaches toward the presence of God. And um, one of the great lessons that comes out of that is um, what we saw in our passage here in Jeremiah chapter 7 and 8. And that particular passage is, do we, do we despise the Lord's presence? And does the Lord despise what we bring? We looked at that question last week, the question last week of, are our offerings that we bring a disgusting thing? Now, how do they become disgusting? We saw that last time around, and we'll be looking at it again this time around. One of those things is that you are not present in the offering that you bring. One of the things we looked at last week is we saw that these offerings are a representation of whom? Ourselves and what? So we ourselves can waltz right into the Lord's presence? No. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 9. So, of ourselves in what capacity? Purified. Remember, you have to, your offering is going to enter through what in the tabernacle? That parable in the tabernacle. What does it, what, where does your offering have to go before it goes to the Holy of Offers? It's, there's smoke, things that go up, but it has to encounter the altar first, that thing that's burning. So you're, you might have seen that with the offerings that are put, that the priests were putting their hands upon the particular offerings. That is being a picture of um, the, the way that that's phrased is you are leaning on your offering. And remember, as we looked at last time, the word 
that's translated offering, korban is in Hebrew, it is the thing that approaches because karav, the Hebrew verb is to approach. And a korban is the thing that approaches. So what you bring is what is going to approach God's presence. But one of the lessons of this parable, the punchline of the parable of the tabernacle is that the Lord is other than the earth. So how do we, who are of the earth, approach the one who is other of the earth? We have to be othered. We use that word holy. We have to be made holy. We have to be sanctified, set apart from the world. We need to be othered. And that othering process with the parable of the tabernacle, the pattern of the tabernacle, is the offering comes in and you are transformed. You basically are piggybacking with the offering in. And as we saw in Hebrews chapter 9 and it goes into chapter 10, that offering that is coming in is the Son of God. That is the true offering that is going in. So we are carried in through the Son of God into the presence of the creator of heaven and earth. So one of the questions that also comes up in the passage and the parallel prophets passages, does the Lord come to hate our obedience to his commandments? Yes. If... It is only obedience. And if it's only just, as you say, with your outside. Because remember, one of the parables of the ordination that we read today was about the anointing with some of the blood of one of the offerings that these priests were bringing as they were being ordained or set apart, set towards service, was what parts of them earlobe here thumb do toe walk so yes toward the right side the strong side the side of power you might have noticed also the the thigh that was offered it was the right thigh that was being offered these are the sources of power and where is the mashiach in relation to the father on the right hand, the power side, and what comes with power. So the things that, when, so when we talk about with the Shema, hear, hear, O Israel. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart. So it goes into your head. And heart in the Bible is the encapsulation of what you think about and what emotions come out of you it's where all those things about you come together at once your emotions your rationality your feelings inclinations all those things come together but what results from that what has mastery over us in our hearts so when the bible talks about your heart being darkened your heart being evil only evil continually Yes, what your plans are in 
intentions, etc. You know, there has come to be an idea that's developed that, uh, well, it's not about, you know, what you think about, it's about what you do. So kind of a, a chiding against what you see in the um, apostolic writings and what you see Yeshua talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, that it's not just what you do. If you don't go full on into adultery, it's no problem. You can think about it all day long, as long as you don't just go ahead and do it. Well, no, because that is part of the righteousness that's above the Torah. The Torah is about getting to the things, your boundaries around the kingdom of God. So when you have that tutor, and when the Apostle Paul talks about you know, that you have a tutor when you are growing up, but then you grow up to a point where you do not need that tutor continually around you anymore. Why? Because you have internalized the lesson. You know, if you, I think about myself when I went through music lessons, you go to music lessons until what time? Until you reach the proficiency that the the instructor is giving you. Then you can move on. And if you need to go to another level, you can go to another instructor. But when you go and you learn the lessons from that instructor, once you got them, you can say, okay, now go out, use those lessons. Uh, yes, Alex, go ahead, please. Yeah, that's a sticky slope with the uh, New Testament and the thoughts. Uh, I see it as Yeshua tells us, it's not just the law. I'm here now. I see your, what's in your heart. And we acknowledge that. Always you, has been that way, though. Very good. Always. I'm not going to be, sit here and become a monk and whip myself if I'm getting thoughts because I will have a lot of scar tissue on that's, me. That's, that's I am, right. I have evil in my thought. And exactly right. We are human. Yeah. So and that's, that's why the Apostle Paul tells us and instructs us to take our thoughts captive. There's all kinds of things that run through our heads all the time. Absolutely. But what results from that? You know, do we dwell on it? Do we imagine ourselves in that kind of a situation? Do, and when it talks about it, that we take our thoughts, thoughts captive and bring them under submission to the law of Mashiach, it's like, okay, you are now going and reaching that higher plane. You're going to the pattern that was shown to Moshe up on the mountain. To the I agree, actual but thing. I think yes. the monks, I'll, I'll blame it on them, tried to take it to another step, which is, God, take these thoughts away from me. Yes. And then you can internalize. The thoughts are not going to ever go away from Psychotic and neurotic. And with, yes. And it never that's ends. Right. That's right. <laughs> and, and see, that's, that's the thing that we, we have a crisis really in the world today and a growing crisis in the world today. So let's talk about the mental health crisis. Well, there are, there are challenges to varying degrees that people have with their thought processes. But if you have thought processes and you had the admonition to bring them under submission to the law of Mashiach, what if you have no idea what the law of Mashiach is? You have nothing to compare it to. The only law that you are now putting those thoughts toward is corrupt is not balanced, is not 
looking Le'olam Vayed over the horizon and beyond, is only looking very myopically, short-sightedly. Just that, and then add drugs onto that situation, prescription or not, and you are having a whole world of hurt of bringing those thoughts into submission. Yes, uh, Carrie. Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, I just uh, part of where we read this morning, I think, kind of speaks to the yes. heart of what you're talking about. Yes. So, in chapter seven, nineteen through twenty-one, it talks about if anybody's unclean, if they yes. eat of a sacrifice, they'll actually be cut off from the whole people. And I was thinking, I wonder if scriptures like that are part of why some people consider uncleanness like a type of sin. But right. the reality is it really doesn't have anything to do with sin. I mean, there are ways to become unclean that have nothing to do with that. It's the way God created yeah. us sometimes. So what I was thinking is that um, then if we, if, we, if we remember that it's not about sin, uncleanness, that it's, it's just a state that we enter in daily being humans, mm -hmm. then if we have to focus on staying clean, which is its own version of being a, a type of set apart, right. then that's when we're eligible to eat of the set apart offering. And so I was thinking that really kind of takes it away from the lesson being about penalty at all mm -hmm. and focuses on what our actual intentions are at all times. Yes. And, and you, you bring up a very interesting point is that if in whatever situation you are in, you now are thinking that you are entitled to some other situation. And we, we see that happen in another degree with the, the great rebellion of Korah. He was in a certain position, had a certain job function, as did his uh, families, yet he thought he was entitled to something else. And in our next Torah reading, we're going to, uh, when we get to that particular cycle of Leviticus chapter 10, and we'll see two of Aharon's sons, where they thought that they were entitled to just go where they wanted to go when they wanted to go. So one of those lessons is, is <laughs> as the old saying goes, it's not about you. Yeah, and you show up, it's not about you, it's about who you work for and what privileges have been given to you at any given point in time. Uh, yes, Sean, go ahead, please. Yeah, I, I can only speak from personal experience. My life, of all the traumas and all this other stuff that I've gone through, I, if, I've not taken every thought captive. And the memories, the emotions, all that stuff, the principality of the air knows that very well, knows how to kick in thoughts, and it's my belief that its goal is to create a, an emotional response to an action out of, of disobedience, right? A separation from the Father. So it's an, I have to take every thought captive. I can't go on autopilot anymore. It's just one thing that I, I've come to a revelation. No yeah. more autopilot because I have thoughts coming in and out, and if I'm not paying attention, all of a sudden i got a hook in. All yes. of a sudden and my emotions are going over here, and I'm being reactive and doing something that I know is not of God. Yeah, and it, and what about the clean and unclean? It, it, from what I'm seeing so far, anything that's in the unclean realm, the spirits and the principality of the air lives in that. Yeah, it well, lives it's, in the unclean. It's like um, I I don't know if we still have any copies of that left over there with the overview of Leviticus, and it and it mentions some of the terminology involved, and 
one of the the key phrases we see again and again and again in Leviticus is you know the tahor or clean and tame is unclean and one of the ways that you can say as a more general view of it is fit tahor is fit to approach because that's when you're talking about a korban its whole mission is to approach to approach the presence of god so are you fit to approach the presence of god are you unfit to approach the presence of god and again it is not our fitness in and of ourselves because we are all carried in through the the great offering that is offered and that is what heaven presented through the son of god so it's not our fitness in and of ourselves it's like what is it then when we recognize what our position is when we approach so that is one of a part of the parable of the tabernacle in that so one of the things that we'll um get at here today because today is uh, the lamb selection day and one of the reasons why it's come to be termed as shabbat Hagadol is traditionally seen as that uh, in the original Exodus, back there when they were originally leaving out of Mitzrayim or out of Egypt, um, the idea was, and there's varying ways that you can see the veracity of it, was that the Lamb Selection Day was on a Shabbat, and the original Exodus then followed in kind of the same chronology that we see this particular year where you have the um, exodus now coming on you know what we call wednesday uh, that day of the week so that's where you get this picture of the great sabbath coming in but what we see is a number of things more and we'll be seeing this more as we go through the remembrance of Passover this coming Wednesday night. And we go through this remembrance of it because, like we talk about in Sukkot time, the, the time of our rejoicing. Well, Passover time period, this season that we're in now, is the Saman Karatenu, or the season or time of our freedom and that's one thing that we remember each year is about this is a house of bondage that all of us are freed from not just people long 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 ago each one of us has our own house of bondage that we were slave to the apostle paul talks about it each one of us was a slave to sin so when we recognize that, that we indeed were in bondage to a way of life that was going away from God. So when you look back in the garden, there was two ways to go. There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. The way of life, the way of death, the way of trust, the way of not trusting. We call that sin. Then going further away, transgression. And going even further away, iniquity. So those were those particular ways of going in life. So one of the things that we saw 
with the just the original meaning of this historically of lamb selection day was and that first passover the first passover it was about selecting the lamb that was going to be for that offering and that would be what its blood that first passover its blood was going to go onto the doorposts of the house and it's was going to go on the doorposts of the house to do what? Covering? Save the firstborn from what? The destroyer. Where, where did the destroyer come from? Yes, the Lord sent it. So one of the things to look at is the Lord sent the destroyer. The Lord sent the Savior. And yes, hallelujah indeed, that the Lord sent the Savior, that the blood of the Pesach would make the destroyer limp or halt at the doorposts of that house where the blood of the Pesach was put onto the doorposts. So the Lord was sent to the destroyer to go to a house with a firstborn, but the destroyer would stop. It was anything magical? It was a parable again, a parable of something significant. The blood of the Passover was going to block the destroyer. And so when we see the particular passage here mentioned, where it says in Exodus 12, starting in verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, you are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of the persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Pesach. For I will go through the land of Mitzrayim on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Mitzrayim, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Mitzrayim. So one of the focus that you see of the lamb, is so it's the lamb whose lifeblood the Lord would find acceptable to block 
his vengeance of deliverance on those who enslave and kill his people. So, kind of like back in the Garden of Eden again. Do you side with Mitzrayim or do you side with the Lord? Like the tree, tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and bad. And also, that this act of painting the entryway of your house, that would block the Lord's wrath. It would call, cause the destroyer to, quote, pass over, to hop over, or to limp over, is what that word pasach means. He's kind of limp or blocked at it. But this is, again, not any sort of magical charm because that protection required a lot of faith and belief that the Lord existed. Because otherwise, what's the warning about? Who cares? Some, some uh, guy wandered in off the desert and was saying, hey, you know, the end is here. Well, if there is no one who is superior to any deities of the place where you're living, why, why would you even believe it? Why would you even be worried or scared about it? And then you have to have faith that the Lord was sending such wrath. And then you have to have belief that the only salvation from that wrath was the lifeblood of a perfect lamb that was selected for that role four days earlier. And then also trust that the Lord had dominated Egypt's pseudo-deities, their false gods, their no-gods. Because, again, you're, you are enslaved. You are held captive to a place where you're at. Now, each one of us, when we think about our own house of bondage, each one of us have to go through this sort of steps of faith. Faith, faith, faith. Because if you are held in bondage and someone is saying, I'm going to get you out, there's a lot of faith involved with that. There's faith that the one who's coming to help you can actually help you. And when they say, hey, we are going to break the chains and take down the captors that are holding you, that that will actually happen. You can read a lot in history about slave rebellions that have happened, whether days of Spartacus or whatever, of slave rebellions that ended disastrously because their, quote, savior could not save, did not have ultimate power to take down the ones holding. <laughs> but... When we are looking at our own house of bondage, we have to think about that as well. Because if we are held by one thing or another, you have to say, does our making, hearing the call of heaven, making that different choice, is that really going to be a better choice? Because you're fighting against, I want to do it. Or you're in that, very sad situation. Yeah, it's, it's just truly heart-wrenching. That's described in Proverbs. Very graphically, very much like in Leviticus with the gra graphic depictions of the sacrificing, but like a dog returning to his own vomit is the one 
who goes back to his own sin. But if you talked with anybody who's really held with strong chains of their own making, you'll know that the comfort it can of what you do know, even if it is miserable, than the unknown of stepping out beyond that into freedom. And as we read through Exodus, we see that freedom can be uncomfortable. You've seen it fictionalized where people say that people who have been convicts get institutionalized, where the comfort of a particular rhythm of what you know more comfortable than what you don't know to reach and trust and go beyond that. Uh, yes, Sean, uh, go ahead, please. Yeah, the uh, darkness of this world was the master of anesthesia before man came up with it. It's yes. been a slow drip from the very beginning. I mean, yeah, you mentioned strong bondage of, yes. of your own making. Yeah, it's, what's familiar is comfortable, even though it hurts. You, you know, it's like, at least I know that. Yes. I can deal with that, quote unquote. I mean, the, the feelings come and go with that. They always come back. Yes. And that's, you know, that spiritual drip, just keep me asleep, keep me uh, you know, numb and keep repeating so that I keep being of disobedience yes. and separated from God. That's the same as it ever was with the enemy. Yes, same as it ever was. And one of the things that you also see with the blood was that this protection was open to not just a particular clique. It was open to other households because when you say that there was a mixed multitude that came out with Mitzrayim there were others just like you would see when the spies would go into the land when they came up to Jericho they came across Rahab and she said hey we've heard about what your God did to Mitzrayim in the sea we heard about that so she put her trust in a foreign god for her completely outside of the power structure walls big walls of Jericho yes uh, Rose we have a comment or a question here. John 316 yes it does indeed because one of the things that uh, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes. And one of the things about 3.17 goes on to say, you know, he did not come to condemn, but to do what? So that the world would be saved through him. So we see in the totality of all things, eventually there is going to be a time where heaven will say, enough. Enough of the disease, enough of the sickness, enough of the crimes, the hatred, the destruction, the killing, the maiming, the twisting, over and over and over. Enough, enough, enough of this. And it will be brought to an end. There will be time for that no longer. Amen to that indeed. Yes. So... This day here is one that Israel is, you could say, is a day of hope. So we in ourselves look back to that time of hope 
of freedom. Think about time when you read in the beginning of Exodus where it said that they were crying out for deliverance. And when the Lord called to Moshe and the Lord said, I have heard them crying out. I have heard them crying. Yes. Uh, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I'm like a broken record with this, but, you know, thank God for the God of the Old Testament because descendants from Aztecs or Phoenicians, they were killing babies. Mm-hmm. And it also put them in the, those tophets or jars. Mm-hmm. And they've found hundreds of them in the Mediterranean. Yes. And uh, uh, so thank God and the humane ways of killing. So the God of the Old Testament was, a, was away from our very... Uh, Cruel and primitive methods. Thank you, but it was a step. It was a step at a time. It was a process, right? Yeah. And uh, but unfortunately, the Hebrews would kind of go back that way. And yes. remember, Abraham was from Mesopotamia. I mean, that's all he knew when he started out. Uh, the gods of uh, of Ur. Yeah. Uh, so uh, quite quite a difference. The one who was leading him out to the yes. ones that he was he was around when he was there. Amen. When you go back and you read, you know, the uh, ancient Babylonian writings and the Akkadian writings, etc., you would not want to live under those deities. Yeah. So take a look at some of the layers of meaning that we have on this particular day and what it's a memorial of. These, this season, this time of freedom, this time of deliverance here. One layer of meaning that we have on this is that on one particular Lamb Selection Day, Messiah Yeshua, whom is Harold her- called, you know, the Lamb of God, he entered Yerushalayim and underwent scrutiny from the rulers of the people until he offered his lifeblood following Pesach to reconcile the world unto God. And so, thus, when we talk about this Lamb Selection Day, it's like, well, how do we know? Does someone just take a guess and think, well, maybe it's uh, kind of, Sounds like a nice sort of thing. How did you get this idea that this is a unit? And in tradition, it came to be called, you know, Passion Week. How did this thing be viewed as like a unit, that it would be a part of one continual story? Well, one of the passages that we have here in John chapter 12, verse 1 it says, you know, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So, this particular point, a passage here in John chapter 12 kind of fits in here, because one of the things you'll see in the Apostle Yohanan's uh, gospel here is that it accounts and really solidifies in this picture that says, okay, you've learned about the parable of the tabernacle. You've learned about the parable of the temple and the offerings. And you've heard about the parable of the appointed times throughout the year and throughout each month and throughout each week. Well, this is the fullness, as you see the letter of Hebrews, this is the fullness that these are pointing toward the substance that these all are pointing toward and to keep our mind on it. And so you see the Passover. So it's talking about six days before the Passover. So the Passover is on the 14th day of the first month of Israel's calendar. 
Now, one of the things, and there'll be lot, there's continues to be lots of debate on this, but one of the ways that you could see in Scripture is that the interval of counting of days can include both the starting day and the ending day in the count. And these are just some examples of this. For example, in three days, after three days, on the third day, three days later, the third day since, and the third day, they all refer to the same event. And, you know, we've got lots of references here to them. There's 13 references to this, where all these phrases, they mean exactly the same period of time. So one of the things that you can see is that, you know, in three days, after three days could be referring to the same point. So six days before could be the ninth day of the first month because you could be including the last day and the first day in this particular account of it. Now, so when you continue on with this passage from John chapter 12, starting in verse 12 and 13, it says, okay, so it's like six days before. That would be the ninth day of the first month. And it says, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, he took the branches of the palm trees, went out to meet him, began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And it's quoting from Psalm 118, verse 26 there. So coming in to Bethany or Bethany on the ninth day of the first month, next day is the tenth day of the first month. So that particular day is when he comes in, and they're shouting a, uh, this message here, which is really a blending, and we talk about this more, and we'll talk about this probably on the first day of unleavened bread or on the Shabbat of Pesach in between. We'll talk more about this, but there is a connection, the parables of Passover and unleavened bread, and of Sukkot, and of Day of Atonement. There's connections between them, both in the number of the days on which they fall, and in the themes involved of them. For example, just as a given example of that, what we just read here is that the day you select the lambs for Passover is on the 10th day of the first month. Well, in the last month of the cycle, you know, yes, there's 12 months, but last day of the cycle of the appointed times, the annual ones, that's the seventh month. What happens on the 10th day of the seventh month? Day of atonement. So you'll notice, and you look at the further, that Lamb Selection Day and the Day of Atonement, they're not only on the same days of those months, but they their messages are very similar. Because, yeah, and in a sense, you could say a bit of a chiasm where, you know, they, they match up on one side and the other. They have the same sort of themes matched on one end of the year and the other. But think about it. You're selecting your lamb, which is going to do what? Block. That's the original role of the Passover, was to block and what do the goats of Yom Kippur do? Take them away. And what did Yohanan the baptizer, John the Baptist, say 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you are seeing now that you have the picture of the lamb and the blocking and the lamb or the goats of the carrying, the carrying away. And these are both roles of what heaven is doing. Yeah, amen indeed. <laughs> amen indeed. So thus you're seeing that this is one of the key pictures of what you have with selecting the lamb, selecting the lamb that is going to be blocking and carrying away. So that's why some of what you see the blending of some of these messages from the events in the first month of Israel's calendar and the events of the seventh month of Israel's calendar. The beginning of things to kick them off and the bringing things in for a conclusion at the end. So it's also kind of a preview of coming attractions. Why, when you see in the prophets, some of the messianic prophecies, they've puzzled people for thousands of years on this, as to why you have, it's come to be called the now and the not yet um, way that the prophecies are. They're the now is that they refer to the time period in which the prophet is actually speaking. But... There's also elements that are right in the same passage that are not in the realm of view of where the prophet is speaking and actually would happen way off into the future. So thus, you know, when you have a question that some people have, well, Yeshua can't be the Messiah because this particular messianic prophecy says that he would do this. And you would say, yes. But now and the not yet. And thus, when you see the things like in Israel's calendar, in the first month and in the seventh month, the beginning and the end, the, when the seven reached their completion, reached their fullness, their, their point of bringing to an end, that you will see what started here in the beginning then comes to a conclusion, a fullness at the end of it. So, uh, yes, uh, Carrie, you have a comment or a question? Well, I was just thinking, I mean, that's just telltale of the suffering servant and the reigning king. Yes. Because there were two comings. That's why we have a now and a not yet. Yes, which is, which is why when you see some of those things in Isaiah, like you're referring to, is where there, there came to be the idea of, you know, the Mashiach ben David, the, the Messiah son of David, the conquering one, and then the Mashiach ben Yosef, or the Messiah son of Joseph, who is the suffering one. Just like Joseph in Egypt, he took on all kinds of stuff and looked like heaven hated him because of what he suffered. But Yosef is also a lesson that what looked like a crushing was actually a delivery point of his family and his people. So thus, when you see the, one of the great culminations of Isaiah is Isaiah 53. And like we were mentioning last Shabbat, key passage in there is that it pleased the Lord to crush him. Because why? For others, for the deliverance, for the removal of iniquities, for others to deliver them out. Yes. Uh, yes, Sean, do you have a comment or a question? That was such a beautiful last statement for others. Absolutely. I yes. Mean, what great love, mercy, and compassion 
of the creator to not all at once come down and do it. I mean, to have him come first as a humble servant, to be able to die on this cross, to pour out his spirit, that we will have a chance in this world against the other spirits to overcome. Amen. It's so important to believe that and trust that. Is the Lord with us or not? Yes, indeed. Uh, yes, Deborah. You know, um, it says that you know, Israel wanted, um, uh, you know, the disciples wanted um, that Christ to take things by force, but first before a kingdom is arising, you have to make an announcement and proclaim the good news. And Israel was not ready by any short mother measure because they had meshed themselves in the Ro Roman culture. And so, and, you know, God kept, Christ kept reminding them of their behavior over and over and telling them, you know, and every time they, they were, they thought they could trick him, you know, and then it said that if Israel wasn't ready, the prophecy states that he would come riding lowly on a donkey, you know, so there's so much stuff out there. And I believe that there's just been mis, people have been mistaught. So their eyes are closed. I mean, you know, God did that, you know, because if you think about God, the creator of the universe, has a plan for how many people he wants in his kingdom. So at every, and every they, you know, a teacher that I study under, she says every generation should be ready for the same thing. You know, and I thought to myself, God is, uh, you know, those that want him, every, you know, 60, 40, 50, 60 years, he's collecting the people that are going to be ruling in his, or, you know, will be in his kingdom. You know, going in and out, going and you know the, for the new moon, and how exciting that is! Yes, <laughs> I mean we're going to get to have the thousand-year reign where we are going to go up and meet, and we'll all be, you know, laying at his feet, studying on earth, not in heaven. <laughs> I mean, right? And yeah, it's very interesting that you're talking about the. Uh, yes, uh, Tammy. Yeah, because the problem is, is like. They, they were looking for a king that would, they thought their biggest enemy, the king that they needed, the king that would fight the battle, they thought that the biggest battle that they needed a king to fight for them for was against Rome. Yeah. But this king came to fight against sin and death. Yes. And conquer sin and death. Yes. So that was something that was just, they weren't even thinking about that. They were so, yes. you know, like the Sadducees and those people were just fine with Rome, really. Yes. You know, and so Jesus coming to conquer Rome wasn't something they really wanted. Yes. And what is it that we have in, in Scripture about when he has done what under his feet? Put his enemies under his feet, place them under his feet. Then what happens? Yes. Then you see the full um, kingdom of God coming. With, with power, after finally you have that conquering of the, the forces that are against us, then finally dealing with the physical forces that are against us and bringing things to a conclusion. Yes. It's almost Alex. like the, the, the numbers. I mean, it's the messianics is just a smaller portion of humanity. Not everybody's going to make it. And just like at that point in time, like Tammy was saying, they were messianics. There were Essenes, there were Sadducees, Pharisees, uh, Sicarii, the ones who wanted to kill. Yeah. People were waiting to pick up where the Hasmoneans left off. So they yeah. have, and I think Josephus probably named them. There were seven sects, right? right? So the Messianics were one of them. So hopefully we're a part of that. Yeah. Hey, we stood the test of time, right? 
Well, one of the things that is a, a message in, in the prophets about this, we talk about this around the time of Yom Kippur, is that one of the lessons is that you need to be ready when that time comes where it says he pours out his spirit and then people go and they look for people of God. And as it says, you know, they grab on to the tzitzits of one Jew and say, hey, we've heard God's with you. That's it. But the point is, is that for us to really, as the, as the old saying goes, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. And then be ready for when the eyes of more people are opened and they come looking for answers. Like we were mentioning at the beginning, you know, if they have no, quote, law to put their thoughts that are going through their heads up against, but their eyes have been opened that there's something wrong and the answers that they've been given are just not working. They will come looking for the answers and then they will, the question is, is will we be ready to point to, to the answer of the hope that's within us? Because as we were mentioning there at the, uh, at the end of Exodus and the beginning of Leviticus, one of the names for the tabernacle, the tent, and for the ark is the ark of the what? The edut, yes, the testimony. It's the revelation of who God is. And what does you know, Hebrews chapter 1 and what did Yeshua himself say there in John chapter 13 about what his role was, was to be the exact representation of the Father, to reveal the Father, to show who God actually is. Not go to a guru, not go here, not go there, but to reveal who the Father is, to be a testimony. What do you see in Revelation? That they, are, they have the laws of God and the testimonies of Yeshua. And Yeshua himself is a testimony of the Father and of what heaven actually is like. So thus, are we ready when people come saying, show us the Father? So that's, that's that thing of being prepared for whenever that time comes. Yes, uh, Sean. I, I'm uh, in awe every time uh, Abba and Yeshua's name heals somebody in any physical ailments. But the biggest, the biggest miracle is that he can reach in through his spirit because I believe in the atoning sacrifice of Yeshua and his spirit that was poured on me to be able to take me from all these random thoughts that have caused me to act out and all of a sudden change that to start guarding my thoughts and being protected by, um, by Abba. That is the hugest miracle and to, to going like a, excuse my language, but like a humping dog returning to its vomit to, to be able to say, no, I want to be set apart. And this is a must. No more. Yes. Drawing the line in by his spirit because of faith, because of trust, I'm able to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, when you see what happens when the outpouring of God's spirit, and you read about it in like Acts chapter 2, when it pours out and... They go into the temple, and they're proclaiming. And finally, at the end of it, they said that they were cut to the heart, and they said, 
what must we do to be saved? And like, just like we read back in Hebrews chapter 10, remember the offering that has been offered, that's been there from the beginning, pictured from the beginning. Go back to that, because that is what is going to turn us around, to bring us in towards the presence of God. So, yes, that. Now, just uh, lastly, as we close out here and look at um, one of the layers of meaning that we have here from John the Baptist, Yohanan the Baptizer, when he was saying that Yeshua would be the, the Lamb of God, his message was what? Of repentance. We have seen that with what he was calling for. And this, this washing was a washing of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it was also declaring, hey, here is the Lamb of God. That is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that salvation go after him. Okay, you're coming to me. I'm the herald. So he's saying, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Follow him. Follow him. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Even though Yeshua said, hey, Yohanan, there has been no other prophet that has been anything like him. Why? Because he is the herald of the Mashiach himself and then of maturity because one of the messages that Yohanan was telling to the people bear fruits in keeping with what repentance show that you have turned around that you've turned around you've we're going one way and you are now turned around like Paul once they were weary of him but when he showed up and they saw that, yeah, he was going in one direction and they were all running the other direction from him, that he was now turned around and was going in the same direction as they would. In a lot of cases, fleeing right along with them <laughs> because he was uh, getting the same attacks that he had been giving on the followers of Mashiach. Now he was getting them himself because he had turned around and was going a different direction. Because he got the testimony of who Yeshua actually was and who he was actually fighting against and coming after the followers of Yeshua. So that's where we'll close things out here today as we finish up and prepare and look forward to Passover. Just keep that in mind that when we talk about Lamb Selection Day, this is really a looking forward, a saying, okay, we have chosen the one who is going to block the wrath of God from us. And as we look forward to the consummation of all things, that these are the ones, that this one is going to be the one to take away the sins of the world, just like those two goats. And as we get to Yom Kippur time, we say two goats, one message, one actual full fullness that takes in both of those roles of taking the sins upon and the blood covering and then also carrying away the sins so any last thoughts here before we close things out
Uh, yes, Carrie. I was just thinking um, back to that question of will we be ready when people, you know, finally come when he calls them. Um, and I just thought, you know, I've seen and probably, and, well, I shouldn't say probably, I've been guilty of myself at times. Sometimes we can think we're ready because we have the knowledge. Mm. And the knowledge is not the only way to be ready. We're actually not. We have to have the knowledge and then we also have to be operating in the fruit of the spirit. That's the only way to be ready. It has to be both. Oh, yes, Sam, go ahead. Yeah, I, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I think uh, the uh, application to what we've just been, been taught, it's uh, if we are to present an offering, you know, because sin condemns all of us. And if we are to live in those days, so we're supposed to be taking an, you know, a lamb or goat to present. And I, I think because Yeshua did what he did for all of us to redeem us, as we come to the house of the Lord, you know, to a sign of appreciation that thank you for what you have done. You know, I think it's, it's that uh, time now that each of us has to you know, to come with an offering, you know, appreciation of what the Lord has done. In my, you know, in my own opinion, to just, you know, if uh, males has to be slain, I won't be here. You know, <laughs> thank goodness for the lamb. Yes. You know, so, yeah. Amen. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at halel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halel.info. Halel